0: of the podcast. We're here with John Blaha, myself Shane, and uh, Dr. Mike Wetz. Did I say that right? You got it. All right. It, was, it sounded like, uh, I think I heard you say it outside of so I want to make sure I got it right. So um, Dr. Wetz or, or Mike, we're just going to call him Mike for the rest of the podcast because we're Mike, super Mike. informal. Uh, we're here to, to talk about bringing back no, wait. Let me get this right. Bringing Baffin Bay back initiative. Um, so Mike's gonna Mike's gonna talk a little bit about that. It's a it's a um, initiative or a program led by by him and, and and fine folks at Heart Research Institute. So and and working with some some partners down in the coastal bend. So we're gonna go into that here shortly. But first, Mike, thanks for joining the podcast. I'm and, excited to be here. I love and, talking Baffin. All right, Well, good because. Well, good, uh, I'm probably the least knowledgeable guy when it comes to Bath and Bay, so I'm gonna lean heavily on, on both of you guys, uh for for this one. Um Mike, why don't you uh give us a little background information on yourself, what you do, how you got to where you are.
1: Sure. I uh I can start early, early. I, I grew yeah. up in a small town in southeastern Ohio, so I'm I'm the Appalachian of our bunch here. Um uh, and I actually the reason I got into marine science, marine biology is because uh my older brother, who's 13 years older than me, he, he made me watch Jaws when I was about <laughs> probably four, and of course, I, you know, I'm sure he made me watch other stuff that I shouldn't have watched at that no. age. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it actually got me interested in sharks. So I thought for the longest time I wanted to study sharks. Uh, so I went to uh, college in South Carolina at Coastal Carolina University, where I majored in marine science. And during that time, I, I actually got an internship with a scientist at the University of South Carolina who's studying toxic algal blooms and I thought okay this is interesting and started working with it I really enjoyed it just because um so many of things that that about these algal blooms they can really affect the ecosystem and fisheries and um, so I ended up pursuing a career more in algae and nutrients and things like that Uh, I went for graduate school uh to Oregon State University where I was uh I got my master's and PhD in oceanography and um I went to sea a lot, so I, I think it was a November cruise in 2001 where we had 40 foot seas, 100 mile an hour winds, mm. and um, that made me decide that I wanted to move back into the estuary. <laughs> 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 so um, that that was a trip. Uh, I I did a um, a postdoc in North Carolina with one of the world's experts on nutrient pollution and and algal blooms and estuaries, and um, now I'm over here.
0: I've been at, at Texas A&M Corpus Christi since 2010. And you started when when you came to Corpus um, you weren't in the role that you're you're in now correct? Co- correct I started off as an assistant professor in the life sciences
1: department and um, just maintained a lot of collaborations with folks in heart for many years and I was fortunate in 2018 they they picked me to come over there so I've been there ever since. And what do you awesome. do now for Hart? I am the chair for coastal ecosystem processes, so my lab basically studies issues related to water quality and um, algal blooms, nutrient pollution in in our
0: estuaries. What are for for Texas? You know, we hear um, about algal blooms, we hear red tide and and brown tide, and a lot of times those are associated in conditions in my experience where your salinities get a little higher and and warmer months of the year so can you just kind of briefly for the layman just kind of go into the processes involved with increased uh production of of algae in our base and how some of those can be harmful to fish and aquatic species yeah so so
1: some of these algae like the red tide um, it's obviously very bad for the ecosystem but most of the evidence that's out there suggests that it's just this natural phenomenon. So it's not necessarily anything we're doing that's contributing to more red tides per se. Although we did just complete a study that really showed a strong linkage with salinity. The salt content in the water, like you said, higher salt content, more red tides. So that kind of gets to this issue of, okay, how much water do we need to be putting into the bays to kind of make the habitat less good for, for red tides? But then there are other types of these algae that, do respond to things that we do, like um, nutrient inputs, nitrogen and phosphorus going into the bays. And brown tide is one of those. We used to think it was just a, um, a hypersalinity kind of situation when the brown tide would pop up. But what our research has shown over the years is that it's very dependent on there being lots of nutrients in the water, in ba- like in Baffin Bay and Laguna Madre. Even when conditions are normal otherwise? Mm-hmm. So we've seen it when the salinity is not high, uh, we've seen it when salinity is high, but the common denominator is there's just a lot of nutrients around for it. So these algae, you know, they're different flavors of algae. Some are some are natural, some are responsive to
0: things we do. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that um, as in my in my work with the hatcheries, uh, my, my, my previous employer, one of the problems that the Hatchery and Corpus would commonly have, because their intake is in the upper Laguna Madre, um, you know, they would have all the brown tide issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would really severely, uh, it was a detriment to their production. It would severely impact their ability to to maintain adequate numbers of fish in their ponds and, and reach their production total. So that's why I asked about that one one specific so how many species or what species um would fall into that brown tide category is it more than one or are there multiple is it is it a singular one it's one species and
1: what's interesting about it is you know it, it started off here in texas but since then since the, you know the late 80s early 90s it's now popping up in other places like the indian river lagoon in florida and guantanamo bay and the common denominator again is those systems are really being impacted by nutrient runoff.
0: And without our influence of freshwater, without adequate freshwater inflows, um well, I guess for that one like you said it doesn't matter as much as the red tide does. Yeah. But yeah, maybe maybe as we go through this
2: discussion of of Baffin Bay specifically, we can talk about um adequate inflows. Sure. Yeah. You, you you said the brown tide actually first popped up in Texas and Baffin, was it, um, I, I don't want to say naturally occurring because we know what drives it, but was it just the same conditions that made it begin to start popping up at Indian River and everywhere else, or is there some kind of transport that possibly took it over there that allowed it then under the right conditions to pop up?
1: Yeah, there have been studies that have shown that it's it's kind of part of the background community of algae. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just that the conditions eventually conditions. become right. You hit a tipping right. point in a system and all of a sudden, boom, you know, it's great it's for there. brown tide all of a
0: sudden. I got you. How does it impact, how does that brown tide specifically impact um, seagrass and those things in the water that would actually help? Would it be filtering the water? Oysters or, I know seagrass don't, they don't filter the water, but they do take nutrients out of the water. So how does that algal bloom affect them? Yeah, so for the seagrasses, what it does
1: is it prevents the light from going down to the bottom, and and so there have been pretty well-documented losses of seagrasses when you get brown tide. Um, For the other organisms, I mean, you know, not to be crude, but it's basically like a floating booger. I mean, what it does is it it produces this copious amount of mucus around itself. It's like a protection mechanism, but it's just like this ball of slime in the water. So, you know, presumably it's not very good for things to eat so it's not great for the food web and and uh filter feeders i imagine don't do well when you just have brown tide either
0: and ultimately when that falls out of the water when it dies it falls out of the water column and then low deal events and things like that exactly
1: and that's one of the challenges you know in places where you have these algal blooms is you know you might eventually be able to get a handle on on the, the the nutrients in the water and the algae but there's what we call a legacy effect, which is, you know, all that fallout over the years, all that algal biomass, it sits in the bottom and eventually just kind of re- releases more stuff into the water. So, you know, we might be able to turn the dial down on the nutrients going into the bay, but we won't see probably an immediate effect because there's still all this stuff in the sediments that's got to get worked out, yeah. too.
0: No, that was one of the concerns after, not, this is all not algae, but one of the concerns after the fish freeze, I remember hearing a lot after the freeze, not the fish freeze, but the freeze. the freeze that <laughs> killed the fish. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing concerns about all the that excess nutrient load on in the system, and I even... I want to say I caught wind that maybe some folks at HRI or UTMSI were going to be following up on that to see.
1: Is that you? That was us, yeah, us uh, us and Jenny Pollock's group. Okay. So we were looking at the water quality and the plankton, and she was looking at the critters that live on the bottom. And so we're still kind of working that up. Uh, What we found is down in Baffin, there really wasn't an impact this time. We did have a separate study going on in some of the canals on the, over there on Padre Island and we definitely saw a, a spike in nutrients over there and then a plankton bloom after that but really didn't seem to have a huge impact on the system
0: overall. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that is fresh information at least for me. Hot off the press. That's, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's get let's get into Baffin Bay specifically. What is the bringing Baffin i got to get this right. Is it Bringing (laughs) Baffin Back or Bringing Back Baffin? Bringing Baffin Back. Bringing Baffin (laughs) Back initiative. Tell us about this initiative. And uh, go into the, first of all, go into where did this idea come from and just kind of the inception of the whole thing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I'll go way back then. So, you know, we heard, so probably 10 years ago I started getting a lot of uh, calls from community members down there who had concerns about the health of the bay, things they were seeing, the algal blooms, fish kills. They were having an issue with uh, a lot of the adult black drum that were emaciated. Basically, they didn't have any any muscle on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, and just a lot of other stuff happening. So we went down there and visited with a bunch of folks. and Kind of what, what, what everything seemed to boil down to is there appeared to be issues with water quality but we didn't have a lot of data. So what we did is we recruited uh, 17 of those community members to basically be citizen scientists, and they, they went out every month, they collected water samples, uh, helped us get the data we needed to figure out, okay, there is an issue here, which we didn't even know at that point for sure, and then helped us to figure out when those issues were happening and then you know what potential sources of some of the problems were. So we had all that data. It was pointing to water quality problems, and what we did is then um, got a group of us together, a stakeholder group, and we're now up to about 150, 200 people, and um, just started talking about solutions. But one of the things I you know, I realized through that whole process is, look, we really need a vision. Like, what, what is our long-term vision here? And I think that's where bringing Baffin back comes into play. Uh, you know, the goal of that is, is to, to find solutions to the water quality problems. But beyond that, You know, we want to be able to restore the habitat in the bay that's been lost and just set this bay up to be a resource that future generations can enjoy.
0: It's interesting uh, because, like I said, I don't have a lot of experience in Baffin, but I have a lot of friends that do and have and over their lifetimes have have seen it from um, – you know, Dr. McKee, David McKee comes to mind and, and his stories about being on those shorelines as a child and to where it is now, you know, he's seen that transition and that change and that decline. So for some people and groups to have a vision of getting it try to get it back to that point I think is I think is great and applaud you for leading leading that effort. So run through the various phases of the initiative, and and then we'll kind of go into more specifics of each one. Sure. Well,
1: the first phase really was just getting the data that we needed and continuing to keep an eye on the bay, collecting the pulse of the bay, so to speak. Uh, So so doing the the research and the data collection. Uh, The second phase is, I think, where we're at now, which is starting to find solutions to the the, um, pollution sources that are going down to the bay. And we've had some real good success here lately in that regard. And I can go into more details uh, if you'd like. Yeah, um, yeah. So, for example, the um, the Natural Resources Damage Assessment Program, which was born out of the Deepwater Horizon Settlement, they are proposing to devote about $4.8 million uh, to focus on reducing agricultural um, nutrient loading to Baffin Bay. They're also... A part of that, uh, uh, about five hundred thousand, will be used for an engineering design study to potentially build a big constructed wetland on a on a property down there on one of the creeks that flows into the bay. Um, so that's we just found that out a few months ago, and that was really amazing news for all of us. It was kind of our first big uh, big win in this. Yeah. Aside from that, we just developed a watershed protection plan. Which basically is a menu of options that um, landowners can work with to um, lessen their impact on the bay through land management practices. And so, what we're doing now is trying to find um, funds to get uh, a sort of an outreach—I guess you call an outreach coordinator who will go down and work with individual landowners and develop plans for their property. It has to be tailored to each property. And um, I'm, I'm really enthusiastic
0: about that. If we can get that in place, that's going to be a big deal. Can you, can you list off? Because, I mean, some people that listen to this may or may not be on Baffin Bay, but they may be landowners. They may have a creek system or be on, on, on a um, watershed that impacts a, a bay system. So you know of or can you give some examples? I know each one has to be specifically tailored to your land but generally speaking, what are some things that landowners can do to reduce their nutrient load going downstream?
1: Mm-hmm. So the, the, the different ways to skin this cat I guess you could say um, farming practices including you know precision uh, precision fertilizer application, uh, no-till is becoming a common um, approach. Uh, one of the, the things that we're really focused right now on with the farming community is, you know, w- making sure that the riparian buffers, the riparian habitat on the edges of their fields is, is in good shape, because that can really have a positive impact on the, the quality of the water that's, that's coming off their land. Um, so there's there's a lot of work right now being done to assess the quality of riparian habitat in that Baffin Bay watershed
0: one of the things that drives—we have property in Jackson County, and um, the creek runs through it. And the uh, every now and then the county will come in on certain sections and spray, spray. and oh, wipe out all of the vegetation along the along the creek, and it drives me bananas yeah. uh, when they when they when they do that. And I mean that, that goes against you know all the things that you're saying that you know we we, sh- we should be doing.
1: Well, you know, I think there's this perception that, you know, we just need to move the water off as quickly as possible. Um, And, you know, I mean, I get it. You obviously don't want your land to flood. You don't want your house to flood. But there are, you know, whether it's from a farming standpoint or just from, you know, landowners in the community, there are a lot of newer approaches that can not only move the water or facilitate the water moving off or through the land, but that will also clean the water at the same time. And, and that's what we're really working on now uh, down there around Baffin is working with some of those communities on, as they start to tackle stormwater and floodwater mitigation, we're working to, to make sure they're aware of some of these newer engineering approaches that can have the co-benefits of getting the water off, but also cleaning the water.
2: And there's a, yeah, there's a much much greater good to the immediate need and that greater good in the end is a benefit to that immediate need and these new practices and shane i I think uh on the steel plant up in senton that was one of the things they did one of the agreements was to build a a natural filtration uh, just downstream of that plant to help help that that help out with that and satisfy some of the Community concerns and then TCEQ concerns as well. If I if I, yeah, if yeah, I remember correct. correctly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the 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 NERDA funding that's available
0: to go out and and reach these these landowners and and tailor a land management program for them. Will that will that funding be available to them to use to make those changes, or is it just to make the recommendations? for them to do incorporate.
1: My understanding is that funding yeah. would be available for implementation. So yeah. it just went through the public comment period and we're keeping our fingers crossed that, that the NERDA trustees come through with that. Because I think that will be a really pot that will have a very
0: positive impact on that, that watershed. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, so that's um that's that component of it. What's 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 beyond tailoring land management practices, What's what else is involved in, in this initiative? Well,
1: one of the things I'm, I'm really excited about is some of the work that's being done with those communities down there that uh, on infrastructure issues. So I mentioned the stormwater and flood mitigation, um, the engagement work that our, our stakeholder members have been doing with, with the communities. Um, there's also a really nice initiative right now. Uh, our partners at the Nueces River Authority have been reaching out to quite a few of the municipal wastewater plant operators down there. You know, a lot of these smaller communities, you know, they have these wastewater plants, but they can't afford to maintain them. They can't afford the, um, the expertise to operate those. And what the Noasis River Authority has done is, is developed this really nice outreach component where they're going into the communities. They're working with the plant operators to get their operations at least back up to code for now But that challenge, that longer-term challenge is, is, um, you know, getting those facilities working the way they need to be. And so they're also working to um, write grants with these communities and just helping them get the resources they need to get the the wastewater plants back up to the speed.
0: Are the, are, so wastewater plants are, are one identified problem. Are septic systems also an issue? And having those updated and and yeah properly maintained by each individual property owner.
1: Yeah. Long story short, um, they are a challenge down there, and there's there's a group that a group of researchers that just gave a presentation last night actually that that show there's definitely a contribution from septic tanks. It's not just a Baffin Bay issue. This is actually this a coastwide coast- problem. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know we have a lot of issues with bacteria in the coastal zone that seem to be linked to septic tanks, but for Baffin specifically, um, yes, there there are there are issues there. But again, what I'm really proud of is uh, again the, the Nueces River Authority. They've developed this nice outreach program where they they reach out to individual landowners, and they will go in and they will assess the condition of their septic tank and um, they have a certain pot of money that they can come in and actually replace those tanks for free if they find that they're right. failing. So we're trying to support them as much as possible as they go into these communities and, and take a look at these septic yeah. tanks.
0: So you mentioned Oasis River Authority, and we've mentioned HRI. Before we get too deep deeper into this, who else is involved in, in, in this initiative? Mm-hmm. About-
1: well, our main partner, and actually my co-applicant on this Texan by Nature Conservation Wrangler uh, application was the Coastal Bend Bays and Estuaries Program. They've been on this since the beginning and have
0: really made valuable contributions to this. Yeah. And I meant to start off with <laughs> yeah. that. No, Apologies I, to Coastal Bend Bays and Estuaries yeah. Program. We do yeah. want to recognize their contribution to all of this and all the great work that they do in the Coastal Bend area, certainly. Yeah. Um. Okay, so and, and doing a little bit of minimal amount of reading on this um, you know you you've, you talked about the the little work group citizen science and um, talked about working with landowners but there's there's potential for some infrastructure involved in all of this as well so can you speak to that piece?
1: Yeah that that goes back to you know the, that stormwater, mitigation side of things uh and also the you know the wastewater plants in particular you know a lot of those communities again they, they just really struggle to keep those plants operating and we've definitely had issues with you know raw sewage going into the creeks that go down to the bay um and things like that that just are not ideal obviously yeah. and so i what i'm particularly proud of with bringing baffin back and what i hope it will do is you know that we can actually help these communities upgrade their infrastructure and maintain them. And so, you know, the co-benefit is obviously the bay becomes less impacted by waste or whatever, and then these communities can get some of the help they need for the infrastructure.
0: Yeah. Do you feel comfortable just briefly identifying the funding needs? Um, Because I think it's important for people to realize, you know, what is actually going to be required uh, for, you know, for this to to come to fruition according to the the vision that that I've seen laid out on paper, um, you know, it's not a, it's a fairly substantial amount of money that would be required to do all this. So do you feel comfortable kind of skimming over that? Oh, sure. (laughs)
1: Um, You know, each phase of this project is going to have needs. So the, the research and monitoring, um, You know, we have needs to keep monitoring going in the bay. Ideally, we'd like to also put some platforms out in the bay that would have real-time weather and water quality monitoring in place at some point. Kind of take Baffin Bay into the 21st or 22nd century even. Anglers would like that too. (laughs) yeah. Yeah, then, you know, for the watershed restoration, gosh, you know, between the wastewater plants, the septic, the ag... I think you're looking at hundreds of millions of dollars. We don't have a firm estimate yet, but that's what we're looking at. The good news is it's been done before. It can be done again. And, you know, like I use the Tampa Bay uh, situation as an example. Um, You know, over a 20-year period, they were able to rehabilitate that bay, had the same problems, much larger scale. And they also didn't have some of the funding sources that we do now, like from the Deepwater Horizon Settlement. I feel we can get there. Um, you know, the other the other component of this in the, the near term that I think we need to address is the stewardship side of things. You know, getting that next generation to to recognize what a treasure Baffin is and to value it. Um, I've worked with a lot of great people over the years. Um, just some amazing people who've been down there for, you know, 50, 60 years. But just making sure we have that to the next generation coming up because you know we could do all this work but if you don't have that you know those kids coming up who care about that bay i don't know i feel like it could all be for naught. well if they if they
0: certainly don't have the same perception or the same realization of what it used to be i mean they're they're gonna go back to how it is now when they're growing up yeah not where
2: it should be mm-hmm. and where it was. Yeah, in the past. yeah. we're not going to have the Scott Murray's and Mr. Sutton. Not gonna, those guys aren't going to be around, you know, forever. And that brings in. My, I know the Brush Country chapter used to do a a fingerling fingerling release every year at the boat ramp, and then just got to be some challenges. But man, that's something I think I'd like to see them bring it back because if you can, if you have a group of forty kids and you can just make a connection of three of them that like yourself you know yeah. you made that connection to that to the ecosystem at a young age and if you can make three or four connections like that to drive that into the next generation it's huge i love that idea you know i did a lot of work with rivera high school for many years with a class
1: down there and it was just amazing slash shocking to me how many of those kids that grow up within five miles of that bay hadn't hadn't even been on it um so it i think we have to really make a concerted effort to get kids out there and um you know i i'm not a super great angler so i'm not sure i have the best ideas but i i'd love to hear ideas for how to do that and and get kids you know to care about that bay and and you know kind of raise that
0: next generation yeah i want we certainly have that conversation offline i know that some i mean some some school districts you mean have a aquatic science um fisheries science programs another one at brass's port used to i'm not sure if they still do but that was their deal they'd go out to sea center and they'd go to various places in the lake jackson area along the coast to whoever signed up for that class they were going to get that exposure it was part of the curriculum um but i agree we'd also have kids come in never seen a blue crab in their entire life and they've been living like you say five miles from prime blue crab habitat and yeah it is it is a little bit shocking and yeah disappointing
1: yeah you know the teacher i was working with down there she did an amazing job of, of she actually started a, a little water quality sampling program got the kids down on the water there and unfortunately she you know took another position at a new school and, and i think the program has 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 maybe fallen off but i You know, I'd love to find opportunities to to help them again and get get something like that going. Uh, Anyway, so you're talking about needs. Um, So we've got getting the water quality situation under control. Once we do that, really what we're aiming to do in sort of a five-year time frame is start to look at how do we restore some of that lost habitat in the bay. Whether it's putting seagrass beds back in there or, you know, restoring... Some of the serpulid reefs that might have been lost down there, those old worm reefs. Um, so, so, you know, these different phases are going to have needs
0: along the way. So, identify the problem, do the, the watershed piece, and then the restoration. Correct. Basically. Um, who else is involved in each of those three phases at, at Heart Research? Uh, some of your colleagues. Yeah,
1: so for the for the research, uh, Jennifer Pollock has been very active down there for many years, uh, looking at the critters that live on the bottom and how they are affected by water quality. Um, and of course, a lot of those critters are g- great food sources for a lot of the fish. So trying to figure out, okay, what when you have bad water quality, how does that affect the prey for the fish? Right now, she's doing a lot of exciting work on the Serpulid reefs themselves, looking at just the amazing diversity of fish that live on them and crabs and shrimp and also doing some really neat work looking at how can we rebuild some of those reefs you know they they just they take a beating but yeah they do they're so important so she's doing a lot of nice work trying to figure out okay over the longer term what how can we rebuild some of those reefs i
0: mean that's the old for me, as like an angler, yeah. that would be the yeah. ultimate goal: is to have all, a how lot you, of live, living, serpulid
2: reefs. That yeah. would be phenomenal. How do you, do, yeah, just how do you do that? Those uh. millions of years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how do we re- replicate it? Or yeah,
1: yeah. I saw a neat talk they gave recently where um, they've got some pretty good ideas underway there. So I, I think it's possible. I didn't didn't believe it before, but I think it might work. Oh, that's another
0: podcast, yeah. and I'll have to get Jenny on this. yeah, yeah I think that.
2: we. And we helped fund some of that study you know somewhere around a 140000 dollars. We were helped fund those yep. studies early on, so yep. uh see this as a connection and continuing uh important you know though you know her research your research all bringing together to create this initiative, so. yeah, yeah, Greg Stunz has done a lot of work down
1: there too on fisheries issues and um uh, so they they came out with some nice studies looking at how the black drum were affected by salinity changes and you know potentially water qualities so um, there's definitely a, a lot of interwoven linkages at hri that yeah. are, they're working on baffin
0: and i mean we've talked a lot about nutrients and pollution are there any other identified causes for the decline of that bay system and the habitat within or is it can you all Is it all point back to water quality
1: it's primarily a water quality issue Um, I will say that I went to a talk the other night, though, where Parks and Wildlife presented. um, They looked at just the amount of the number of anglers in that bay over time and the fishing pressure. It's pretty amazing, you know, and especially 2020 during COVID, everybody was on the water. Um, So, so we've heard a lot of interest in how, you know, changing fishing pressures affect the bay. Um, You know, of course, that's a, that's a, topic another hmm. topic for another day but great podcast worth. yeah but primarily it's the water quality that that's affecting the bay yeah.
0: well now i think it's important to bring that up because yeah, it, we, we we've mentioned it on this podcast before we don't think we don't think of ourselves as a part of this large conglomerate of, of anglers we only think about ourselves as, as individuals, but collectively we have this massive or potential to have this massive impact on fishery. So just the small things that you do on a daily basis, um, only keeping what you want to eat, catch and release, taking care of the fish you're handling. I mean all of that has cumulative effects. And so when you when you when you improve that and improve, maybe not get you know, all the, all the water quality issues resolved, but some of them, I mean, those combined could have measurable impacts on, on a, a resource like, like Baffin Bay. So I'm glad you mentioned that because that, I think in my mind, that's an important piece to, for the
2: listeners and, and um for folks to, to recognize. Yeah, no, Shane, you've not been shy about, about saying that in the past. and I mean, you know, I think about Rockport and live in Rockport and I think about Rockport and I spoke to the chamber and Rockport's going through this tremendous amount of growth and what is the one thing that brings us back to this community is the health of that base system and without that health you know, as community leaders there has to be a responsibility to ensure that growth is it's, it's a growth that takes care of the resource first in order for that community to survive yeah, yeah.
0: All right, I'll switch gears just a little bit. Uh, you guys are recently recognized or received a conservation Wrangler award from Texan by Nature. So do you mind I mean you kind of mentioned it already but just go into detail about about that because um, I, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah it was it was
1: huge. Um, you know we we were, we realized we needed a vision and we needed help implementing that vision. And so we wrote an application to Conservation Wranglers. Uh, So this is part of Texan by Nature, which uh, is a foundation that former First Lady Laura Bush started many years ago. And um, what they essentially will do is provide about 18 months of tailored support to initiatives that they select. And this year they selected four for the whole state. So we're very excited to have Baffin up there. Um, and, and basically, what they will be helping us with over the next eighteen months is the partnership development. You know, finding folks who will work with us on finding solutions to the issues in the bay, um, helping us find funding that we need to fix some of the problems and do other things. Uh, they're going to help us with marketing and communications, which, of course, you know, we're scientists. None of us are very good communicators. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know. I, anyway, I could. I could talk about that forever but um that they are they just have this amazing team of of folks who work on all these types of things and and will help i think really get bringing baffin back out there and on a positive trajectory yeah
0: and a more global scale for sure yeah um
1: well actually i just want to follow up you know that that's one of the things we recognize too when we were writing that application is that you know we know we've had great local support but we also knew that there are so many people who are aware of baffin and who have you know go down there and go fishing but they might not live in that local community and we we wanted to try and reach more people who know baffin and so i think conservation wrangler will be able to help us do that yeah
0: Now, my good buddy mark calhoun what's up mark he and his buddies went down there for just a uh guys tonight get away stayed in corpus and or just in the area and, and did a baffin trip and there's so much of that that goes on because it is a destination fishery for so many people and they all want to go down there and have a good experience they want to see living superiorly reefs i mean come on so um Spreading the word and, and getting more exposure through Texans by Nature or anything else that you do I think is going to be a tremendous benefit for, for the initiative.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the Lord, the tr- trophy trout lore, you know, ever since Wallace caught that trophy fish how many years ago. And the pressure just, yeah, I'm sure you talked to the Scott Murray's and Dave <laughs> Rousey's, all them, they would tell you, just the pressure was just straight up after that. And then it continues to be that way. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to mention on,
0: on the initiative, anything we didn't cover? Oh, I just, I thought I saw something about the field station. We didn't mention that, did we? Right. Well, we're not supposed to, or
1: so we're looking for a home base down there. You know, it, it's a challenge dragging our boats and everything down there every month and all the equipment. Uh, so we're, we're, we're trying to cook up a little initiative, to revamp an old field station down on Laguna Salada. I, I don't have a lot of details at this point, but so one of my one of my other grand visions out there is trying to get us, you know, some more localized uh, a localized launching pad where we can also do things like bring school groups down there and get them on the bay and, and host public events and things like that. I mm-hmm. think having that presence on the bay. It's yeah. something that we're
2: oh. we're really aiming to do. That'd be great. I know Jay Tarkington used it great, you know, when he had his till Harvey took it away, but yeah. had his station there on uh right there across from Coal Harbor on the island out there. So No
0: that that, that all makes sense. I mean, yeah. to have I mean, you gotta put put a pole on the ground somewhere and say yeah, you know, I know. stake it out. That's <laughs> right. We're here. Yep. It's this is that important that, you know, you, you wanna have a place where people can an education center like you mentioned and a place to store your equipment easy access you're not having a have a long boat ride yeah. all the way from corpus or bird island and and to get there in riviera wherever that makes makes a lot of sense yeah
1: another one of my half-cooked ideas we'll see if uh, <laughs> we'll see if it comes come i was up.
0: wondering why you didn't mention that at the offset i was like i'm gonna pull it out of him i'm so. still
2: working on it yeah <laughs> uh, uh, it's the other thing about this project too i no, don't. No it was kind of mentioned earlier just the importance of the system science part of it all and that really kind of got it going
1: oh yeah that was just an amazing group of people it's you know once in a lifetime opportunity to work with people like that and um i think it just it showed that the community cared and um you know that, that was one dedicated group of people i mean they were out there in good weather they were out there in some <laughs> really bad weather um which I kinda of feel sorry for. That's what they signed up for. It was a monthly commitment. It was you know, a, and they, they yeah, stuck with it. So. Yeah, they did. Four years it was oh gosh. That was I'll never be able to replicate something like that again, but they they helped us get the
0: data we needed. Well, you never know. I mean this thing might you, you, you might have a resurgence of, of interests interest from, you know, that grassroots component. And people wanting to engage on this especially if they if it's a shared vision and they understand um what the goal is yeah and they see the path to get there um i think you'll i think you'll get their buy-in
1: well i would i would love to be able to start the citizen science program up again um so if anybody's out there wants to wants to go out on baffin every month and you know, we collect water, we don't do fish or any of that cool stuff, but it's super
0: important. No, let's so. go into it. What so whether it be through the citizen science or funding or any other resources that somebody thinks that they have that could be beneficial to this, how how do you want them to go about to communicate that? You know, directly or, or is there is there a, a online resource that they should go to how, do, how would you recommend people go about? i would say
1: start directly with me okay and i will first of all connect them with the baffin bay stakeholder group where, where we'll make sure they get updates and opportunities come down the line and then i will also communicate with them directly about any needs and opportunities and talk to them about any ideas they might have um I'm always open to new ideas. So they'll be like on an email distribution list with the stakeholder group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so how would you? How do you want them to reach out to you? Oh, uh, they can email me. And um, do you want me to give you my yeah email? yeah yeah it's Michael M I C H A E L dot Wets, W E T Z at T A M U C C dot E D U. Uh, they can find me on the Heart Research website as well. In fact, actually, we're working on a Bringing back & Back webpage as we speak, and there yeah. will be. Uh, links there where they can, you know, reach out. A lot of different resources there, and hopefully that'll be up within the next week or so.
0: Okay, so email them directly. Go to the Bringing Baffin Back website that's going to be out soon, probably about the same time you listen to this podcast, or just email me, Shane, or reach out to me on Facebook or um, our um, CCA website, and I'll get you in
2: touch with Mike. Sounds good. On the water sampling process, what data were these volunteers actually collecting? I'm asking. They pulled a water sample, looking at salinities, temperatures. What what all specifically were they were looking at? And I, mm-hmm. I'm going somewhere with this. That's why I'm asking.
1: Yeah. So we first started off. We brought them into the lab where we trained them how to use what's called a sonde. So that's an instrument that you drop through the water and it measures temperature, salinity, dissolved oxygen, and pH. And then we also trained them how to actually collect water samples and collect it in a way that that we felt comfortable with the data we were getting on it. So from those water samples, um, they would take those back on land and we taught them how to actually process those samples. So they would take some of the water and they would filter it through filters. And we would measure what's called chlorophyll. It's the amount of algae in the water. Um, some of them would would put the water in the bottles where we would add preservatives, so we could look at the the plankton and the algae in the water. They basically did everything, and I mean, it was it was like my students and and it's like having a lab. My postdocs out there, out there yeah, yeah. I mean, they were great. Uh, they and and it, what was great is they would just all sit around and they would they would talk and then. You'd have some, you know, husbands or wives kind of around the edge there. Sometimes supervising, telling, them, Oh, you're doing that wrong," or you know, something. But it was just a great group, and they, you know, they seemed
2: genuinely to have a good time. Yeah, I where and where I was going with that is, you know, if we could somehow identify three, four, or five, whatever of these younger generation guides that are on the water every month they're running a trip i mean what does it take 15 minutes to do this yeah
1: at about 30 minutes at about each site and we have six sites in the bay it's probably
2: 15 minutes so if you identify six guys your job for the next 12 months is once a month one year i mean you're already out there you're fishing you know this is for your benefit this is to ensure your legacy is as in your business and your kids and your grandkids for the future. I mean, I wish I could do it. You know, I mean, I honestly don't live down there, but it just seems like a great opportunity for them to show their commitment to the resource and, and build their own legacy as well to, to bring this system back to what it was. And I'd be happy to
1: have that conversation with anybody that wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I just just got my brain
0: turning, you know, I don't think you're going to have a problem getting the people but if you do direct communication you know friends of friends will make it happen so we'll you know anything we can do to help facilitate that be all about getting getting that thing going again great yeah absolutely
1: that that was that was an amazing amazing uh experience yeah i'd love to be able to do it again
0: and we have but i mean uh in our separate communities, John and I also have you know friends that are heavily involved in Texas Master and Naturalists, and that's another group that might want to, you know, you could look mm-hmm. at engaging on, on this, th- you know, find the chapter down there. And, and if they're not already participating or if you haven't spoken to them directly, um, go give them a presentation, and you'll have more help than you probably can handle. Great, thanks. they're engaged. They're, yeah. they're good, really good group of people in my experience yeah
2: mr Rousey, you got a phone call coming to help me on this <laughs> <laughs> david was one of our volunteers oh, I know, actually I know. so he, yeah. Yeah, he, he gave his he's, time <laughs> as, as he says he's nurturing some of these pups along uh, so david maybe, just got voluntold again maybe he could maybe <laughs> he can help guide guide us in the right direction to identify some people that might be willing to play yeah yeah
0: all right do we do we miss anything that you think absolutely needs to be covered on all this? No, I, I I'm. I would just say, you know, I'm more hopeful than I've ever
1: been. Um, we're starting to make progress on this issue. And, and it kind of reminds me, I think there was an old State Farm commercial or something. It was like, life comes at you fast. And, and it seems like the past year in particular, you know, even with COVID and everything else going on, we've really made a lot of progress on, on bringing Baffin back. So I think it's all up from here. That's huge. That's, That's great.
2: Huge. Yeah, y'all have, y'all have done a great job. I know early on there were some perception issues maybe from some of the community and but overall I think everybody was absolutely for it and you had great drivers like Mr. Sutton and, and Scott and and those guys working with you, so Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Mike, Doctor Wetts,
0: appreciate your time and again if anybody wants to um reach you, throw out your email one more time. It's Michael M-I-C-H-A-E-L dot WETZ,
1: W-E-T-Z at T-A-M-U-C-C dot E-D-U. All
0: right, there you go. Contact him if you want to participate in bringing Baffin back. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you.
2: Thank you, Shane.